This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. All right, well, Elevate. God bless you. I'm glad that y'all are here. I'm glad to be here. What a blessing it is to always open up God's word and, and to share. And um, man, I'm just I was just thinking back of trying to uh, think of this time in my life when at your age. And and uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm very joyful and glad to be here. So I'm grateful to be here. If you don't know me, my name is Manny. I'm the children's pastor here at Living Word Church. I know I've seen a good bit of you, um, maybe interacted sometimes, but if not, that's me, um, and I'm grateful to be here with you. Um, I've been attending Living Word for 10 years now, 10 years since 22. So it's been, it's been a long time coming, but this is home. This is what I'm passionate about and I love and, and so grateful and honored to be able to do it. So if, um, if we could just pray and bless, and bless this sermon, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to it. Well, Heavenly Father, we praise you again, Lord, as we gather here, Father God, to, to open up your word, Lord, to be able to see what you have put in the word by your Holy Spirit, Father God. And may we uh, be able to see clearly what that is, Father, with, um, with accuracy, Lord. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would help the listeners here, Father God, that you would open up their hearts Soften their hearts, Father God, and, and to the ones that may be hurting or questioning or doubting or whatever it may be, even if they didn't want to be here, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would do a work on their heart, Father God, because it's no um, chance or random thing that they are here and we are here together, Father. So we just pray that you would grant us that, Father, and that you would, that you would be with us, Lord, that your um, Holy Spirit would, would guide us through. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that as I open up your word, I could boldly declare it accurately, Lord, and with, with glory to you, Father, and that it may be brought forth with clarity, Father, and for the name and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so Bibles. Pastor Dom started doing this thing where you bring your Bibles, right? So you know all of the scriptures that I'm going through tonight, right? Okay, that's a no. I didn't expect you to. I'd wonder who'd give you my, my notes if you did. So, we did a sword shoot, right? Is that what Pastor Dom called it, a sword shoot? Last week where we jumped straight to the text when I call out the verse or the chapter? Sword shoot. Forgive me if I'm wrong on the words there, but we go as quick to the verse as we can. First one there wins. Just give me a uh, shout. Shout me down. Whatever you like. Make it fun. So, are y'all ready? Okay, don't open it up yet, but you can put a finger in the middle somewhere and kind of give yourself a jump. 2 Corinthians 7. That's not fair. Pastors don't count here. 2 Corinthians 7. Wow. Okay, so 2 Corinthians is... In the New Testament, 
It is, after, it is the sixth, seventh book in the New Testament. First Corinthians, it's Acts, Romans, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. All right, y'all are making it. We're going to make it. We will make it. All right. Next one. Romans 3.10. Romans 3.10, also in the New Testament. You're not far from it. Wow. Electronic devices. That's awesome. Y'all have labels in your Bibles? Because that's like cheating too. JK, JK. Okay. Next, Ezekiel 34, Old Testament, Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel 34. Very nice. Awesome, awesome. Okay. Got it again, huh? We're going to get there, Jeline. We're going to get there. Just in case you don't know, there's a table of contents in the front of the Bible to help you out there. If you're not able to search it on your electronic devices or you just don't know. All right. One more. New Testament. It's a gospel. Luke 19. Luke 19. Really? I don't know if that, is that right? Are you, you being honest? Okay, all right, yeah. I know, Kinley, you are, you are a very honest and upright person. So when you turn to Luke 19, let's stay planted there because that's going to be where our text and where we're teaching from tonight. That's where we will be. So when I refer to a verse and we flip to it, I'm going to be flipping to it with you. Um, after I read that verse, you could go back to Luke 19. So we're going to stay in Luke 19, but we're going to shift around within the Word of God. So do you remember the great American game, Hide and Seek? Yes. We probably know that really well. Some of us might even play it. And if you all play it and you're senior in high school, there's no judgment here, no judgment. But think about when your parents, let's just say during the summer, because it's summer, allow you and five of your friends to come over and get to hang out and stay up all night until the sun wakes up and, and rises and you choose the game hide-and-seek. You got a big house. If you don't have a big house, you could still, could still play hide-and-seek. But when you're playing hide-and-seek, typically if it's your house, you won't be the first seeker. You're going to be probably the best hider, right? You're going to know all the spots. You're going to tell your friend to go there, your friend to go there, but you're not going to tell them your hiding spot, okay? And they're not going to find you. So when they start counting to 10, they might as well just not even count for your sake because you won't be found. And then it even gets better if you turn off the lights. They definitely won't find all your hiding spot, right? This is like, this is, this is the best. And then you feel a little sad and I guess you come out and let them tag you and then you go out and you find all of your other friends. Does that sound, sound familiar? I did it. I remember playing in these big houses, like just never being found, and it wasn't in my house, so you get an even sense of greater accomplishment because it's like, that's his house, and he couldn't even find that spot, and he got found before me. 
the good old hide-and-seek. So the title of this message today is called A Savior to the Lost, for those who are taking notes. It's going to complement Pastor Don's last sermon where he talked about the doctrine of salvation and talked about a lot of what it means uh, essentially from Ephesians is what he's taught in, and that it says, by grace you have been saved through faith by Christ Jesus. It is only that way. And so the direction that I'm going to guide you and that I'm going to show you and help you understand and, and help you get a clearer picture of is that no man seeks God because we can't. Because God has sought us, and he calls us to turn from our sin. So let's look at our text. Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Let, let's rise at the reading of God's word so that we can honor his word as we read this text. Last person standing, I will start. Okay. Luke 19, starting in verse 1. As it reads, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on the account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house tonight. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when the crowd saw it, they grumbled. He has gone until the guest, he's gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Please take your seat. So Jesus was going to Jerusalem, and he entered in Jericho, and he was approaching at this time in his life the end. It's not too far if you flip forward on your own, if you get a chance to look at it. Whenever you do, I encourage you to. We'll see that this was coming to the end of his ministry. A short three years uh, that we see and in his ministry. So this would have been a miracle-filled land. This would have had all of his wonders that would have been done. They would have heard about all of the rumors, all of the healings, all of the demon-possessed people, non-possessed now. And we see that some of them has even called him the Son of God. I don't know, the Messiah, or maybe the son of maybe the prophet Elijah. But nonetheless, they would see his wisdom and his knowledge on display and he just healed this blind beggar right before this chapter here. 
So Zacchaeus would have wanted to see him in that way and in the same manner that that blind beggar was, was coming up to Jesus and, Jesus, have mercy on me if you will. Would you, would you heal me? So Zacchaeus, this would have been plain in Zacchaeus' mind. So to see him like that, this, mir- this miracle-working, merciful Jesus, only Luke records this story here of Zacchaeus in the Gospel of Luke. Only Luke has this story. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was hated because of he was hated because tax collectors were traitors, they were extortioners, they were thieves, blackmailers. They didn't follow the law of Moses as the Jewish law would have and that he gave to them. And he was unclean because of his dealings with the Romans, the non-Jews, a dirty and filthy people. So he was in cahoots. He was on board with this people, a traitor. And he couldn't even go into the temple nor even more of that, his word would not even stand up in the court of law. It would be rejected because there was two categories that addressed filthy and defiled and people that were outcast in this time, sinners and tax collectors. Zach Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. I just want to give you a history because this is going to play a lot until when we get further down the story, down the story as we just read, and that we're going to see what happened to Zacchaeus. So he was a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. And this also is the only time in the New Testament when Luke, talking about, this is the sixth tax collector in the final, in the Gospels, talking about this tax collector, but a chief tax collector. But what's interesting about that, and I just described to you what a tax collector was, was that his name meant innocent, pure, righteous, completely contrasting with who he was as a person. And he was the commissioner. He was the man among men. The tax collectors paid him, okay? So Matthew would have had no rank compared to Zacchaeus. He definitely was the alpha dog, very rich. By far. So let's look at verses three and four again here. We see, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Climbed up into a sycamore tree. If you've been in Sunday school, you know it's a, it's probably your favorite. And so he ran ahead into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked, I'm sorry, let me stop there. He climbed into the sycamore tree because he was about to pass that way. So do you want to see Jesus, Zacchaeus? All this forethought to hurry up and run against the crowd and, and run up ahead. So if he was small in stature, I would have given him the benefit of the doubt that he was really fast. A lot of short people are fast. I'm short. I'm not fast. But I'm going to give it to him. The average man at this time, in this time of Zacchaeus' life, average man was 5'5". Five, five. He was small in stature. He was probably like 4'8 or 5'1". Okay? Sorry, Zacchaeus. <laughs> so he wants to see Zacchaeus. But make note that any time that we seek God, apart from God, that it's superficial. 
And why do I tell you that? Well, a little bit about me. When I was your age, there was a time that at 15, you know, I, had, I was playing baseball. I had a baseball career. I met a lot of people, went to colleges and camps and two-lane camps and camp here and went out of town and played with this college player. I got to practice with them. And the baseball career was really adding up. It seemed good. So at my height in baseball, you got to be as good as David Eckstein or Kirby Puckett those were probably before some of your times, but they were greats, but short, but great. So you had to be pretty good. So I was striving for this, right? At this time, and, you could, and you, I'm sure you could relate, at this time, you're trying to see who you are and you're really getting in to what you think your future's gonna hold. If you're good at football and you're tall, well, and you're really good, it's a good shot you get to move up, at least get to play somewhere. So he's I was pursuing what I thought was right, and an event happened in my life that was life-changing for me. And, and, and because of this event, I was seeking self-identity, affirmation, self-pleasing, and even fear-filled heart because of what happened. So I got involved in and doing drugs and, and having sex and going to jail and dressing and acting like I was some type of thug and started fighting and all kind of mean and heinous, heinous acts. But in that, as the time goes on, you're doing these things and if you keep doing these things, they add up and then the hurt starts to come. The emotions start to come. You're far away from your family. You've killed relationships. You've stolen. You hope that this person doesn't come to your house because of what you did to that family member. And you're looking for a way out. And, and what else is there? If you believe in God, God, would you just help me? I, I promise that if you just help me get out of this, if you just heal this, if you stop this feeling because, mind it, there were some times and some nights that I didn't want to do anything other than die. When your last option is dying, that's far. So I'm trying to paint this picture to you that I called out to God and, Lord, if you would have it, and in a sovereign will, I allowed some of these things to happen. And as soon as it happened and life was normal and back to normal routine and your, your mind feels good and you're healthy now and you gain back your weight or the bruises healed or you're out of jail or whatever that may be, See you later, God. You treat them like your local convenience store where you know what you're going to buy, won't buy it, and get out because you have received it. He was, it it's putting God, I was putting God on a pedestal of my own understanding and my own level and actually decreasing his holiness in my mind. What a heinous and hard thing for that to happen and do. So I was seeking this type of fulfillment in my own desires. So I tell you that because we see in 2 Corinthians 7.10 that we have no desire to repent apart from God. So 2 Corinthians in the New Testament 7.10, and I will turn with you. Remember, mark your paper here in Luke 19.
Wow, sorry if you heard that. That's going to be recorded. So the point I was just trying to make with a brief story of my testimony was that I sought God, but after I sought God and, and, and he even allowed in his gracious and merciful attributes to allow some of these things to take place and that I was able to live and able to continue on as a human being, the repentance and the calling out and the seeking was nothing to push me towards him. And what I'm saying is nothing to push me towards him is nothing that was sustainable to continue to live for Christ. And I'm going to show you what we're talking about here. Just that picture, 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas me, Manny, over here, worldly grief produces death. It does not help. It is no good act. It's actually bringing you further if you repent or seek for God for yourself and your chief end and not for the glory of our God and his chief end. So we cannot seek God. There's nothing in us that wants to do that. Why? We don't desire the things of God apart from God. Romans 3.10, also New Testament. Romans 3.10. A few books, if you flip to the end of the New Testament. If I see eyes, I'm going to go. Y'all have some beautiful eyes. Sorry, man, I, I'm, I'm not going to get too mushy. I'm not going to get too mushy, I promise. Romans 3 verse 10 through 12, and then we're going to jump down to verse 23. So 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So why, why can't we do this? Why is this the inability of ourself, even though we're good people, why do we do this? Well, Jeremiah made it clear for us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's the heart that we have. That's the heart that we have. Do, do not be so foolish as to think that if you have just made straight A's and you've never stolen, oh, maybe just a piece of bubble gum, but you lied to your parents one or two times, we cannot think that just because of that compared to Adolf Hitler that we're good people and that we could just do these good things apart from God. We don't want to do that. 
We do that because they're looking. Mom wants us to. I need to make that scholarship. We don't do it apart from God. We only do it at that point for ourselves. We thrive from the pulse of what we want. That selfish ambition, the faith-filled follower denies Jesus. Our sin is trespass, transgression, separation, rebellion, hostility, and mockery all towards God. No one has to teach a baby how to disobey, or a youngster how to steal, or a high school to pick on the unpopular in the high school. You don't have to teach us that. So do you see why you can't? Let's look at Ezekiel 34, 16. Ezekiel, that is in the Old Testament. toward the end of the New Testament. Ezekiel 34, 16. Ezekiel 34, 16. Listen to this God's word through the prophet Ezekiel. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them justice. You only stole one piece of candy. You make straight A's. But you sneak out on Friday night, you lie behind mom and dad's back. The fat and the strong in society, God will bring justice. That's the truth of our Lord. So you, you might be thinking, okay, well, all right. Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus, Manny. He just climbed up a sycamore tree to find Jesus. He's seeking Jesus. So what are you saying? Well, let me explain to you. I would love to do that. This superficial seeking, if we remember back on our sermons through John by Pastor Ben, we see that after defeating the 5,000 that they came and Jesus told them, you're not seeking me for me. You're seeking because your bellies are full. Remember the fat and the strong? You're seeking me because your bellies are full. This true seeking of Jesus Christ will cost you everything. It is opposite of what we think and what we want to do. That's what I'm trying to let you know. And Spurgeon says, you need to be saved from yourself, not by yourself. Thank God he is a Savior and he seeks us. Which leads us to our second point, that Christ is the true seeker. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 in Luke 19. When I say look at verses 5 or 6 or 7 or 8, that's talking about Luke. So remember, after I read one verse, and it's not Luke, after I finish, flip back. Look, verses 5 and 6. Here we go. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must come to your house today. 
So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. If that would have been me and calling my name, I would have probably fallen out of that tree. Like, out of what just happened here, they caught me. That is quite a call. Because remember, he's thinking about all of these rumors, all of these wonders, all of these great things that have been done in the land, and that he hears his name, Zacchaeus, come down. Wow, we see the divine knowledge of Jesus Christ on display here, calling him by name. So clearly the crowd, the crowd was great because Jericho had been full of goods and luxuries and sights and pleasure. It smelled good. They had these beautiful flowers that they would come through and be aromatic and smell really nice. And this attracted the people is because that it was a common transport east and west, north and south. This was a hub. You could not go to a certain place or Jerusalem without passing through Jericho. You would be able to see the beauties of Jericho. So for Jesus, he came for Zacchaeus. He was on his mind. There's no doubt in my mind that when he woke up that Jesus was like, Zacchaeus is who I'm looking for. I'm not going to Jericho to enter Jericho and just pass on through. I'm looking for Zacchaeus. And he's looking also today, which applies to us, elevate for you. Similar to the lost sheep, if you know that story, was there not more people to be saved than that one guy in the tree? Could you imagine the crowds? Jesus had crowds. We just heard, we just remember, John, after feeding the 5,000, that he had great crowds that followed him, okay? So you're not talking about this amount of people. We're probably talking about minimum, probably three or four times the amount of what we have here. I would say minimum. I'm probably even undercutting there. But look at Luke 15. Flip back in Luke a few chapters. Luke 15, 4 through 7. Are we okay on time? Is it going, going smooth? Okay. I'm, not, I'm unaware of the last minute that we, that we get to have here with you. So... Luke 15, 4 through 7. Verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? That one man in the tree, in the midst of the crowds, Zacchaeus, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, not for a good game of hide and seek, but saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's shown this intention, this predetermined mindset that before the beginning of the ages, before the foundations of the earth, this Zacchaeus was going to be found by Jesus. No doubt, it's clear in Scripture, it didn't happen arbitrarily. 
Jesus Christ is a well-planned man. Clearly, we see it from all of his miracles in the past. It's the, it's the Psalm 139, I formed you, I've knitted you, I know who you are, I know what the depths of your soul is, I know who you are deep down. Zacchaeus, come down, hurry. That's a double imperative. It's a, it means immediately, urgently. We're in summer right now. Some of you have maybe gotten a schedule of learning and, and sleeping in, which is pretty awesome. If I get to do that or sleep till seven, I'm doing really good. And then sometimes I feel even lazy after that. But you're staying up late. You get to go here every Friday night. Or let's just say you go to the friend's house and you stay up all night until the sun rises. And that's your nighttime. And we're getting close to the beginning of this school year. And mom or dad's like, hey, listen, we got to tighten up. We've been having a lot of leeway. It's been fun. I'm glad you were able to do it. It's summer fun. But we need to start getting in the groove. We need to start waking up early. Let's prepare ourselves to wake up early. So how about if you're waking up at 9, wake up at 7, okay? That'll give you a jump if you got to wake up at 5 to go to school, right? So, all right, Mom. All right, Dad. I will. I'm going to do that. First day of school comes. Wake up. Wake up. What are you doing? You said you were going to be up. Hurry. Get up. We're late. Let's go. This would have been the same urgency as that. Okay? That's the only time in Jesus' time that he gave this kind of command. We see the work of a Savior here at hand. Listen to this quote by Charles Spurgeon. What a great word that word salvation is. It includes the cleansing of our conscience from all past guilts, the delivery of our soul from all those propensities to evil which now so strongly predominate us. It takes in, in fact, the undoing of all that Adam did. Salvation is the total restoration of man from his fallen estate, and yet it is something more than that. For God's salvation fixes our standing more secure than what it was before we fell. It finds us broken in pieces by the sin of our first parent, defiled, stained, accursed. It heals our wounds. It removes our diseases and takes away our curse. It puts our feet upon the rock, Christ Jesus. And having thus done, at last, it lifts our heads far above all principalities, all powers, to be crowned forever with Jesus Christ, the King of heaven. Zacchaeus would have experienced this. Even though he was an extortioner, a money swindler, and caused even people to be impoverished, and even probably had some to get beat up because if they wouldn't pay him, he knew somebody that was in a low place to get his money. Believe me, he was getting his money. And some of you are just as far away. Now, do you understand the need of a Savior? He readily and gladly received the call. It would have, he would have been excited for him to be his guest. Why? Because this man was ceremonially clean. He was pure. He's undefiled. Oh, and he's healed and fed and brought people from death to life. Of course, you would be glad to have this Jesus. But some were not so. Look at verse 7, and I'll explain to you that. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the, to be a guest of a man who was a sinner? 
Grumbled here means, means complete disdain, selfish disagreement, and what was playing on the inside was visible on the outside because it showed their strong disapproval. Man, why, why do they do that? I, mean, I can't even believe Jesus would ever do that. This is a man who has had a good reputation, and yet he goes in the house of the sinner. He's lost my, my mom's wealth. Nobody knows what to do. I can't believe he would do this. That's the kind of grumbling that would have been taking place, if not more. So why would a Jew then want to pollute himself? Why would Jesus defile him? Why would he come down to this low-class sinner, tax collector? Okay, so if you're a sinner, that's one thing. But I see if you categorize another person, which is a tax collector, so sinner and tax collector, both the same thing. But to push that and to make two different categories and to marginalize him? Well, why would Jesus do that? It wasn't some peace act for a movement. It wasn't to make them equal with anyone at any status of life, whether rich or poor or middle class. We preach the gospel and hoping and praying that it takes seed, and that makes all equal. This is what happened to Zacchaeus. The hard-hearted people didn't get it. But here, the gospel is at play. How? Well, in verse 8, we see, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, I have half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus stood. He stopped. Okay? The legacy translation says that he took a stand. This was an eye-to-eye -eye conversation. This was a man-to-man, -man, you and me, forget what happened. I need to talk to you. I need to tell you something. Okay, in case you didn't know, Jesus, I'm going to give half, I ha all, half to the poor, and if I defraud anyone, I'm going to give them four times that amount that I did steal and thieve from them. So, we see that, let's just, let's just make an example here. If, I'm sorry, a recap. Remember what we've seen, to remember what we've seen so far, that God seeks us. Secondly, Christ is the true seeker. And now, thirdly, that we see from the text, genuine seekers would desire to correct sin. Look at the end, of eight, the, the end of verse 8 here again. I'll just read the whole thing. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give it back fourfold. So let me paint the picture for you. If I made 100000 and I stole from you, I give you back 50000 okay? Some college students don't even start off at 50000 when they come in to a good income and a good job. I'm not saying all. A good bit don't. But from that 50000 he gave back fourfold of what he stole because that was a Levitical law. In the Levitical law, it says if a thief has stolen from anyone, he has to pay it back fourfold 
of what he has stolen from that person. This would have made him ceremonially clean to enter back into society and correct his wrong. So we see doings here. But so he could have potentially been poor. Just play the amount of people that he did this to. Think about it. I mean, we're not talking tens, we're not talking hundreds, we're talking thousands. Just play that out in your mind, the amount of people that he would have had to pay back, okay? Fourfold. Well, let me give you another picture, okay? I stole a penny from you, from you, a penny. Penny from you, from you, stole a penny from you, Miss Michaela, you, Miss Sophie, and I stole a penny from you. I stole a penny, one penny, almost no value today in Earth's currency, in the world's currency. I stole a penny, I give you a dollar. Doesn't that remind you or ring bells about the rich young ruler that said he had to give it all up to enter into the kingdom of God? Does, does anybody remember that? Well, let's look at it. You can keep that dollar, by the way. Let's look at it. Flip back one chapter, Luke 18 starting in verse 18. Luke 18. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Stay right there. He asked him, have you kept this law? Have you kept this law? Have you committed adultery? Have you listened to your parents? Have you done this? Have you done this? Yes, Jesus, from my youth. Okay, verse 22 of that chapter. We're staying here. We got 22 and verse 27 of this chapter. When he heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Okay? So after this course, this rich young ruler, I don't know, let's just say 25, more money than what he could think of, flowing out of his eyeballs, was sad, and Jesus told him, it's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for you to enter into my kingdom if you hold on to these riches. Look at 27 right here. Look at verse 27. But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. It's the sovereign, mighty, omniscient hand of God. No man can know how sweet that grace extended call to himself. How beautiful it is when a man is a new creation or when the dead heart has been revived back to life, the heart of stone made into a heart of flesh, the dead raised to life, a new man there's no mistaking the work of Christ in that man's heart. Let's look at verse 9 in Luke 19. 
and we will stay here till the end. Verse 9, we shouldn't have traveled far. Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of man of Abraham. Today salvation has come to you, Zacchaeus, and today salvation has come to you, Elevate. It's no different now. Christ is still here, and I'll explain about Abraham. The thing that he says about Abraham, yeah, ethnically he was a child of Abraham because he was a Jew. Abraham was a Jew. But that's not what he's talking about here because clearly he's an outcast from society, right? We, we explain that further. The thief, the money swindler, the extortioner, right? He is not a clean person, okay? So Abraham, remember God told him, Abraham, your righteousness has been counted to you. Your faith has been counted to you as righteousness. Abraham moved, lived, breathed, and sought God all by faith. We see it here where Zacchaeus steps out and lives by faith. I'm going to give him back more than what, you, more than what I ever known, Jesus. I'm going to give it back. We see it here. We just saw it. So he recognized the mercy, and he couldn't do anything else but to serve Christ. When Christ gives the call, there is no other response that we can do than other, I will serve you, Lord. You've made it right. I've sinned. I've fallen short. Lord, I have cursed your name. This is the right response. This is the main theme of Luke here, is that the gospel is for all. It's shown in the shepherd seeking the sheep, the woman seeking the lost coin, and the father seeking his lost son. As verse 10 reads, let's look at it. The Son of Man, oh, this is so good. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me tie it together for you here. So who's the hider and the seeker in the good old American classic of hide and seek? Who's the hider and the seeker? Think back to Genesis when Adam given the direction, don't eat of the fruit from the tree of knowledge and it will be well with you. Adam sinned. He ate. He clothed himself with leaves because he was filled with shame and guilt and knowing his eyes were opened to things that he thought would be of God but was not. It was a lie. It was a deceit. And the same thing that we believe these days that we can do good enough for be just right with Jesus and come alongside whenever you think it's time, there was no such thing. Adam thought that he was hiding his shame, so he hid. The hider. Jesus came walking through, and he called him, and he said, Adam, why are you hiding? Oh, Lord, I was naked. I didn't want you to see me. Well, who told you you were naked? Who opened up your eyes? We see that God, walking through the garden after Adam sinned and hid, he came and found Adam and called him by name. And also, that before he sent him out, he covered him 
and what would make him right with God through animals' clothing, with animal clothing. And I say that because when Jesus Christ came to the cross, the perfect Lamb of God, he died and covered all of our sins. There's no more hiding when we've accepted what he's done on the cross for your and my sin. God is the one who seeks, I tell you. For the unbeliever, he came then, he indeed is still saving. Are you seeking? Is God knocking at your door? Do you not know where to find hope or what's next or, or what not? Look no further, the kingdom of God is at hand. Would you come? And for the believer, you share your testimony, you share of God's love through our Savior, which is the gospel. This is the manner the Lord would have you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord. Father, that you have come, Lord, not for us people who think we're good, but Father, that we don't seek you, but that you seek us, and that Christ has sought us through his finished work of the cross. And then when this is a faith-filled act and faith-filled heart, Lord, that we will desire to give it all up for you. And Father, I pray, Lord, that if, if anyone is wrestling with, with any of these things and, and with, with any doubt, with any question of what's next, because it may not seem like their plan, Father, I pray that you would have mercy on their soul, and Father, that you would be near to them, and Father, that they would come to the knowledge of your truth, Father. Lord, we can never understand the work of the cross in the heavenly realm and what it means, Lord, to be saved with eternity, Father, for eternity, but Lord, we thank you, and we are grateful for the grace that you have extended Lord, that we may know you, Father. Lord, you are so big and so mighty, but yet we can still know you. Father, I pray that, Lord, for, for this, for anybody who is struggling and for anybody who is, again, questioning, Father, that, they would, that this would bring clarity to them and that they would know about you, God the Father, the Almighty. And, Father, the great work that you have sent your Son to do on the cross for our sins. Father, we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord, that we have ears to hear the good news that can make us right with you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.